Testing, testing, one, two, three. Testing, testing, one, two, three. We are on the air. This is Thesis. Three, two, one. We are on the air. This is Thesis. Everything is everything. I am your host, Jay Marie. How are y'all doing out there? I hope y'all are doing well. Uh, I hope you find yourself safe and everything's going pretty decent. Thank you for showing up and spending some time with us today. Really appreciate that very much. Uh, I want to welcome all of our new friends in Indonesia. Hey there, guys. Uh, welcome. Welcome to our little family here. Hope you'll enjoy what you hear and stick around. Uh, all right, guys. Today, I uh, wanted to talk to you a little bit. I See, I was thinking about this all day. Kind of wondering um, on several things. Uh, as you know how we've talked here before about my thesis right about about how all the uh all the connections between history and philosophy and science and all these different disciplines right um the scriptures right in the bible the jewish books the buddhist books like all these writings um and the thesis is sort of like uh finding a connectivity between everything right so, like, the everything is everything thing kind of, it's kind of a way to, 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 to put an idea together, you know? Um, so, I wanted to, I was thinking today of coming on here, because see, like, religion, here's where it gets tricky. Um, because it's not about religion, and I don't even like the word religion. We've talked about how I think religion, the word religion kind of puts us in a box um, but so when I when I want to talk about is like um, what I wanted to talk about was like um, stuff in the scriptures right in the holy scriptures but really more about like the prophets and I was thinking see I was thinking about Buddha I was thinking about Socrates I was thinking about Jesus and the prophets of old and you know there's a common message between all of these these different things you know there was a common message um of hope and goodness and like you know of of behavior and act right and things go right you know there's this common theme across these different disciplines and then when we look at the sociological sciences i mean those those ideas are kind of proven true somewhat through the psychology and the sociologies and those type of things you know and i think uh, the epic of human history is is an amazing epic um, I think we um, have amnesia uh, in some ways because we have forgotten our history. We've talked a little bit about that stuff on earlier shows. Um, and I kind of wanted to talk about that again today, but a little bit different. You know, there's this, it seems, as you learn about history, um, as you learn more and more about history, it, it becomes very clear that there are these cycles, like in in human, not evolution, but maybe like societal evolution. Let's say there are these cycles of 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 uh, prosperity and then destruction and kingship and and um, tyranny and then poverty and, and enslavement. You know, there's like this these reoccurring things that happen among societies throughout recorded history and the um 
the Bible, the the Christian Bible, has a lot of those stories in there, and puts them all in a very nice, concise package, uh, where people can read it and stuff. And now, see, where we come about to the religion part is, remind you, I just want to remind all my new listeners, this is not about religion. I'm not pushing religion. I don't care what you worship, what you read, who you worship. I'm looking at these things uh, philosophically, right, and um, some of these ideas. But see, we're not even going to focus really more. We're not even going to focus too much in on, let's say, the Bible, right? Because remember, I was looking at, at, I was thinking about what the Buddha says, and I was thinking about what Socrates says. And see, those two, the Buddha and Socrates, have nothing to do with Christianity or the Bible, you know. As that, so I was thinking about human history. There is an unknown part of our history, the way, way, way back part. <laughs> like, maybe there's only hints about it. Um, but what we would call recent or modern human history, which can probably be traced back to, I mean, it's, it's debatable, but for sure, for sure, um, 5,000 years, let's say, right? To some of the earliest civilizations that, that we've been able to record. A step. Now, sometimes I wish, as a history buff, I wish like, man, I wish there was like this, this entire volume of, uh, like a book or a story that tells us everything, right? That just gives it all to us, right? And and I, me, the way my mind thinks, the way I, I love history and all of these things, I, I see I see the Christian Bible as something like that. But see, that's only one little part of the human epic. The, the, what we what the stories that are in the in the Christian Bible because in the in the in the um, in the Buddhist books right there's several books I am very familiar and mostly familiar with the Dhammapada which is was translated from Pali now there's different sects of Buddha of Buddhism and they have all these teachings and everything but some of the oldest uh, writings of the Buddha, right? That they write of the Buddha, give another part of that human epic. You know, the writings of Socrates and Plato um, and Aristotle, they give another part of the epic of human history. You look at the Persian Empire, right? Now, um, I'm not too familiar with the, let's say, um, the historical tracking of, of the Persian Empire, but I am very familiar with, let's say, Herodotus' histories, right? He's the Greek um, historian who wrote about the Persian Empire, and he did all the hard work. He went to Persia and looked at the annals, and, you know, so he got a first-hand look at this stuff, but way back in the day, when it was still fresh in the memory of time. So, see, that's another part of the human epic. And see, what, what we want to do here, what part of the thesis is, what all, what, all of this, what all of this is about is putting all of these things together. Uh, because when we do, it gives us a better picture of, of everything. You know, of different, um, I use the word disciplines, but different disciplines, right? Science is a discipline. History is a discipline. Religion is a discipline, you know what I mean? So when we look at all these things and we learn about all these different disciplines, it gives you a better, bigger, better picture of 
of uh, let's say human um, human history, human evolution, human society, societal evolution, human behavior, we get a better picture and see right now we are in the age of Aquarius. <laughs> That's just a little inside joke, but you know we are we are in a time of human history where information is readily available. So much information, you know. So it's easy. It's really easy to find. Uh, for instance, I've read um, some of the uh, Hindu writings, right? The uh, the the um, uh, Mahabharata, right? And the um, forgive me, this is the 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 pronunciation of 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 these um, books in the language is is a little difficult, you know, for for my Western tongue, you know. <laughs> Uh, but I've read some of the Dhammapada, um, I'm sorry, I said Dhammapada, see, um, Mahabharata, and um, the other one is called, uh, oh, it's so difficult, it's the Bhagad Bhagita, forgive me for not, if I didn't pronounce it right, I probably butchered it. But see, there's stories in there too that are relevant to to human behavior and stuff like that. Now those stories are a little bit more epic, with the gods and the wars and the this one and the that one. But even still, there's still a lot of teachings buried within those stories themselves. I'm not way familiar with it. I have tried to delve in, but like I said, it's it's from my Western mind. It's a little it's difficult. But you know, I'll I, as time goes on, I'll learn more and more about it. But anyhow, well, well, where I want to go with this is um, knowing, knowing, uh, gathering as much information as we can about human behavior, right? Human societies, um, and the most common thing that we can reach for is the the you know what we call the Christian Bible, and mind you, the word Bible is a modern in uh, iteration of the word Biblios, which means books. So this is basically like a library of books. You know, put together in one little concise package, which is beneficial to mankind across all cultural spectrums. You know, when you look at it, when you step back and look at it from a from a general standpoint, let's say, instead of from a religious standpoint, modern religiosity, you know, those angles, those those ways of looking at things. If you step back and you see it, you see that there's some beneficial stuff in there, you know, for individuals, which is always good because there's beneficial stuff in the Buddhist writings. There's beneficial stuff in in Socrates' writings. There's beneficial stuff in see what I'm see where we're going. Okay, so we anyway. Let, let's not get too uh, let's not get too far because I want to go I want to go somewhere. So the cyclical nature of of human. Uh, society and history, you know, it's it's something that's very as the um, to me, it like it 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 really calls my attention. Now uh, there was a radio guy back in the day. He passed away. Uh, Paul Harvey. A lot of you younger folks, younger generation out there, probably never heard of him um, because he was an old timey back in the day radio guy. Uh, but he used to do these little radio clips and he would read stories and. There are some really, really good. He was very wise. Um, and one of my favorite ones is um, called From Freedom to Chains. He kind of goes through a little bit 
on some of these ideas that we were just talking about, about the cyclical nature of things and human behavior. Um, but he breaks it down a little bit more articulately. So what we're going to do is, you know how I like to do here, we're going to go ahead and listen. We're going to listen to Paul Harvey, Freedom, um, um, Freedom to Chains. Uh, it, it was from 1965. Esther, we're going to listen to it together. Uh, and then afterwards, um, I, I, once it's fresh in my memory, then we're going to jump around in some of the ideas that he threw out there. Um, uh, you know, the, the way I like, the way I like to kind of break ideas down a little bit. Um, but we're going to do that. So let's, um, let's see what Paul Harvey has to say. And I hope you enjoy this. Um, so let's go ahead and do this. And again, this is Paul Harvey. Uh, from Freedom to Chains, 1965. Now then, what makes a nation strong? Taxes? <laughs> There's nothing new about those either. The first income tax was paid by Abraham. It was written on a rock by the hand of divinity and handed to Moses at the top of Mount Sinai. And you might want to remember this. It was at the flat rate of 10%. It promised the wrath of God on anybody who tampered with or violated that law. Christ was born in Bethlehem because Joseph was on his way to pay his taxes. Joseph was a relatively well-to-do landowner of the house and lineage of David. Yet the taxes exacted by Caesar Augustus were so exorbitant that he didn't have enough money left over to employ a trusted messenger for the mission, so though his wife was great with child, he made the journey himself. And Christ was born in Bethlehem because Joseph was on his way to pay his taxes. And Christ was born in a manger because there was a housing shortage when he got there. Our problems are not new. At Runnymede, the Magna Carta was handed to King John on the end of a sword denying to royalty the right of unlimited taxation. Yet you know it was for us, the American people, to become the first in recorded history ever voluntarily to surrender our rights to private property. Oh, yes, we did. With an innocent-sounding constitutional amendment, the 16th, which says that Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes on incomes from whatever source derived, and we forgot to put any limit on the extent to which we could tax ourselves. Conceivably, we could be taxed out of all private property. We could be taxed not 70%, 80%, 90%, but 100%. We could awaken one morning and find that the government owns the farm and the house and the car and has a mortgage on the church, legally. Historically, whenever any nation has taxed its people more than 25% of their national income, initiative was destroyed, and that nation was headed for economic eclipse. Presently, the American people are being taxed 33% of their total income. History says we'll roll forward on momentum for a little while, but we'd better get some more gas in the tank pretty quick. You see, ours is not the first by George good government to arise on the world stage. There have been several. Rome, Spain, and Greece, and China, and each enjoyed about 150 years at its zenith. That's just about our time in the New World. And then each decayed away. Not one of them was ever destroyed by anybody else's marching legions. Each rotted away, morally, socially, culturally, economically, simultaneously. You know, one of the most cruel paradoxes of history is this. Because each was a good government, it bore bountiful fruit. And when it bore bountiful fruit, the people got fat. And when they got fat, they got lazy. When they got lazy, they began to want to absolve themselves of personal responsibility and turn over to government to do for them things which traditionally they had been doing for themselves. At 
First, there appears to be nothing wrong asking government to perform some extra service for you, but if you ask government for extra services, government, in order to perform its increasing function, has to get bigger, right? And as government gets bigger, in order to support its increasing size, it has to what? Tax the individual more, so the individual gets littler. And to collect the increased taxes requires more tax collectors, so the government gets bigger in order to pay the additional tax collectors. It has to tax the individual more, so the government gets bigger and the individual gets littler. And the government gets bigger and the individual gets littler until the government is all-powerful. The individual is hardly anything at all. The government is all-powerful. The people are cattle. Now, some believe that the need is for a vigorous, strong man to arise on the scene to regulate and regiment the affairs of men. Yet history tells us there have been several such. Once upon a time, there was a nation great and powerful and good. She was suffering from the aftermath of war, from a depression. And then came upon the scene a leader, an idealist, self-confident, intolerant of criticism. Wisely, he limited his early activities to combating the financial depression. Nobody could argue with that. But in a while, he began to regulate business and establish new rules to govern commerce and finance. Some of them in diametrical disagreement with the God-made laws of supply and demand, but anybody who disagreed with those new rules was promptly fired. The new leader saw that under the old system of free enterprise, landlords prospered, so he levied new taxes to take away their profits and destroy what he called the monopoly of capital. To please laborers, he controlled prices. To win the favor of the farmers, he gave them loans and subsidies. The national debt mounted alarmingly. Whenever anybody tried to tell him that governments, even as people, can go broke when they spend beyond their incomes, he said they just didn't understand deficit finance. Well, what do you say? Did he build on rock or on sand? I say on sand. For you see, this was the story of Emperor Tsu Tung Po, who led China to its doom more than a thousand years ago. I am satisfied with all my heart that if Uncle Sam ever does get whipped, here too, it will have been an inside job. It was internal decay, it was not external attack that destroyed the Roman Empire. Starting about 146 B.C., internal conditions in Rome were characterized by a welter of class wars and conflicts, street brawls, corrupt governors, lack of personal integrity and moral responsibility. About 290 years after Christ, a Roman emperor named Diocletian took over. He really grabbed the bull by the horns. He took over in a period of turmoil and severe depression. The first thing Diocletian did was call in the gold and close the banks and raise the taxes. He reduced the power of the Senate, delegated its power to a lot of little government bureaus. Do you know they even had a transportation act back there prescribing the fee required to rent one laden ass per mile? And at today's rate of exchange, it would have amounted to about one-eighth cent per mile, which meant that in order to make a profit, a jackass would have to carry five passengers? That was simply beyond the capacity of the jackass. Diocletian put millions of people on the public payroll, but when this failed to do the job, the country was still in trouble. He asked more personal powers for himself. For a brief while, incidentally, they were standby powers, but then he used them all at once. He froze wages, he froze prices, he froze jobs, he stopped profits, he dictated to the farmer what he should plant, when and how he should sell it, and for how much, and he rationed food. And what happened? The labor market closed down, incentive was gone, 
Farm life became dependent on bureaucratic red tape. Exorbitant taxes cost the farmer his land. He kept for himself only a small plot on which he might grow turnips for his family. He lost the rest of it to the state. And without food and with incentive gone, city life stagnated and declined. And Rome passed into what history has recorded as the Dark Ages, lasting a thousand years. Just by turning to the left, the world has gone in circles. A nation would evolve from a monarchy into an oligarchy, from oligarchy to dictatorship, from dictatorship to bureaucracy, from bureaucracy to pure democracy, where finally the people would cry out from the chaos and confusion of the streets, oh, please, God, give us a king, and God would give them a king, and they'd have a monarchy again and start the whole silly cycle anew. Now, either we will profit from the errors of their ways, or it follows as the night the day, our children are going to have to relive the dark ages all over again. How come after thousands of years of experiment, our new nation has come so far so fast? All this in less than 200 years. What is the secret of our success? Well, I think it had to do with a basic American's creed. Perhaps it never passed the pioneer's lips in this form, but if it had, I think he would have said something like this. I believe in my God, in my country, and in myself. I know that sounds like a trite, too simple thing to say, and yet it's a rare man today who will dare to stand up and say, I believe in my God and my country and in myself, and in that order. When the early American pioneer first turned his eyes toward the West, there were only Indian trails or traces, as they were called, for him to follow through the wilderness. Do you know today you can roller skate from Miami to Seattle, from San Diego to Plymouth Rock? In this little bitty instant, as historical time is measured, our 7% of the Earth's population has come to possess more than half of all the world's good things. How come? Well, sir, when that early pioneer turned his eyes toward the West, he didn't demand that somebody else look after him. He didn't demand a free education. He didn't demand a guaranteed rocking chair at eventide. He didn't demand that somebody else take care of him if he got ill or got old. There was an old-fashioned philosophy in those days that a man was supposed to provide for his own and for his own future. He didn't demand a maximum amount of money for a minimum amount of work. Nor did he expect pay for no work at all. Come to think of it, he didn't demand anything. That hard-handed pioneer just looked out there at the rolling plains, stretching away to the tall green mountains, and then lifted his eyes to the blue skies and said, Thank you, God. Now I can take it from here. Now that spirit isn't dead in our country. It's dormant. It's been discredited in some circles, driven underground, but it isn't dead. It's just that a few seasons ago, politicians baiting their hooks with free barbecue and trading a Ponzi promise for votes, began telling us we don't want opportunity anymore, we want security. We don't want opportunity, they said, we want security. They said it so often we came to believe them, we wanted security. And they gave us chains, and we were secure. Suddenly, with our constitutional guarantees depleted, with our national character eroding away, with our tax laws penalizing those who dare to prosper, with workers concentrating on how little they can get by with instead of how much they can produce, suddenly we looked overhead one day to discover that the first tin moon in space was a Russian accomplishment, that free men dragging their feet had been outdistanced by slave workers 
dragging their chains, and we were sore afraid. Perhaps this was a disguised blessing, too. Maybe a dramatic accomplishment by this Cold War adversary was necessary to get us off our dead centers and back to work again. If we can revive in ourselves, then in our youth, something of that basic American's creed, the horizon has never, ever been so limitless. For man stands now on the threshold of his highest adventure of all, his first faltering footsteps into space. Twenty years from today, half of the products you will be using in your everyday living aren't even in the dictionary yet. We've got it made. If we just keep on keeping on, we've got it made. And if we don't, we will follow those other great nation states of history into the graveyard of ignominious oblivion. History promises only this for certain. We will get exactly what we deserve. Wow. Paul Harvey, 1965. Man, if that doesn't shake you up a little bit, right? Wow, he touched on so many things, and uh, he was very articulate about it. You know, the word prophet, I don't, you know, it gets thrown around a little bit too much, I think, in modern in modern days. Uh, you know, I see people, certain church people types or pastors type people, they call themselves Prophet so-and-so, right? Like in their business card, you know, like Prophet Ron or whatever. You know, um, I don't think that's a title uh, to be held. Like, for instance, uh, uh, beauty, right? Beauty is an eye of beholder. As the, a prophet... For instance, a prophet isn't it isn't up to that person to call himself a prophet. So once he once he calls himself a prophet and puts it on his in on his title on his uh you know, Facebook page or Twitter handle or whatever, right? Or on his business card, then, you know, that right away says should say to you like hold him up. It's this all about. Right? But a prophet the way I think is like if we look at the uh, the the word um, the Greek and Latin word sorry as the prophetos it it translates to one who speaks forth right and uh, I've brought this up before how we kind of see it in the modern days as sort of like a like a fortune teller type person but no so see like um, you see how Paul Harvey was talking about sort of you know, at the end, he's like, we'll get what we deserve, right? Uh, throughout history, there's been there's been people who have been trying to warn their society or whatever about changing their ways. You know, in the Old Testament, there's the what we call the prophets of old. You know, Jeremiah and like the other the prophets, right? And and uh, several instances, um, the prophet was was crying out aloud. You know. Um, to the people about changing their ways and when we look at society today like think in modern society in your feeds or in, on the news or in speeches or lectures you know think of anyone who who might in a general sense be calling out to the people like hey 
you should probably change the way you behave, right? And like, like mind you, not. I'm sorry, and see, it just popped in my mind. Like, in no way that I'm trying to point to myself in any way about about being a prophet, anything like that. No, I want to point outward, you know, because there are people out there right now at this moment in modern time who are way smarter, more, way more intelligent, way more informed than I, you know. And those are the folks that I look to. But see, I look to those who who are who are you know, like when we look at it in the, in the prophet sense, calling out to the people about changing their ways because if we continue down this path, we are heading only towards destruction. And we're hearing this from, like, psychologists, right? Um, Jordan Peterson, one of my top go-to guys. You know, and that's what, he, that's what he constantly says in his lectures. And mind you, he's not a, he is not a, a, He's not even sure how much or what kind of a Christian he is or anything, you know. But what he is is a scientist, you know. And I put that in quotes because he's a psycho he's a psychologist, right? He he uh, he studies the the uh, sociological and, and the so uh, the sociological and the psychological sciences, the mind, you know, uh, all of that stuff. You know, that's his that's his discipline. And he calls out to the people about changing their behaviors and to society about changing our behaviors because we're only heading in the bad direction, right? Same thing when we look at, let's say, someone like um, Dr. Martin Luther King. You know, he was crawling out to the people, you know, and at the same time as he's calling out to the people, to government, to, to, the, uh, to the governors and to the mayors and to the police departments and all this stuff, right? He's also calling out to his people, his followers excuse me, by saying, hey, we're not going to be violent. This is the way we're going to do it. We're not going to raise fists, you know. We're going to do it by peaceful means, you know. That, to me, standing out here in a general sense, in a generic sense, sounds and looks like a prophet to me. You know, when you, when I, when you read, um, let's say, for instance, Socrates' Apology, same thing. When you, when you read his writings, most of the time he's doing the same thing in his time period, in the Greek states. Same thing with the Buddha. You see the connection between all of these things? That's what it's all about. That's what the thesis is all about. But see, then it goes deeper because now we can look at history, right? Uh, Paul Harvey brought up a lot of historical facts. You know, when he was talking about that Chinese empire, emperor, uh, I, I thought he was talking about some modern president or something, with the, uh, you know, with the minimum wages and the and the fees for the donkeys and this and that. That sounded like modern shit. But look, that happened a long ass time ago. Cyclical. The more we know, the more data we have, the more input we have, the better picture we can um, put together, piece together. Right, because remember, all of these things are little pieces of, of let's say, like I said earlier, the human epic, right? And who wouldn't want to know? Who wouldn't want to fill in those pieces by whatever means? I mean, see, I brought up last time about about putting up walls or blocking ourselves in. So, see, if I'm thinking about religion in a negative connotation, oh, religion and blah blah blah. It's going to stop me from learning whatever valuable information that might be in some of those books. And see, I'm not talking about just Christianity. I'm not talking about just the Bible. Whatever. 
different types of religions, you know, that offer beneficial um, information, uh, wisdom to to us humans, to society. Who wouldn't want that to learn from that? The taxes, you know, the tax collectors. Um, the power of the government, you know, he brought all that up, how Rome collapsed from within. It wasn't an army that conquered it. It fell apart from within with political strife and, and um, you know, um, uh, battles between different clans and political groups and cities and whatever, different structures and armies. All this disorder this, this and chaos is what brought down the Roman Empire. Throughout history, there's been, there's been, um, there, history is amazing because it, it gives you, if the more you dig, the more you know about all these different societies, all these different kingdoms, all these different ways that, that we've lived before. And I say we, humans, we've lived, you know, we can look at modern times and see things right in front of us right now in the present time, which is amazing. But one thing that history does teach us is that eventually bad things happen. You know, Paul Harvey brought up how at the zenith of the Roman Empire, he said about 150 years. You know, I'm sure he did his research. I've asked Google this question too. And, you know, the consensus is something around between 150 and 250 years, you know, of, of maximum prosperity, zenith. Uh, because the Roman Empire was around a long time, but it collapsed. Um, but even out of that collapse came all the all these new states and empires from later times, right? Spain and and uh, and uh, and and England and France and all these states that eventually had their own little kingdoms and spread, you know, throughout whatever, right? So. Even out of a collapse, something new started. You know, I, I think about these themes a lot um, because, and, and mind you, and like I said, this isn't about religion. I ain't trying to push. I don't care if you worship or not, whatever. Um, but, you know, here in the West, right here in America, here, you know, the Latinos and us or whatever, you know, Christianity is our thing, whether it's like Catholic or, or whatever. So, like, it's something that we all know. Even if we have never read the Bible, you've heard these stories before, whatever. And, you know, and and again, when I step back and I look at the teachings, let's say, of the prophets or of Jesus, it's like, this is wisdom. You know, it's no different than, let's say, Tony Robbins. Although, Tony Robbins makes money off of getting you um, in mental shape, let's say. Right? Because he's figured out a way to really push you and whatever, but he's gonna charge your ass, <laughs> right? But see, there's there's um, these people throughout history, Christ uh, specifically, let's say, because he's the one. And I mind you, I'm talking in, in a very generic sense, right? Because I'm not pushing a, uh, I'm not <laughs> again, I'm talking in a very generic sense. Christ, let's say, has risen up to the top of of Western. Uh, society, mythology, whatever we want to call it, right? Uh, so, so the 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 way of of let's say the Christ, the modern Christian is something of let's emulate, you know, something like let's emulate 
the Christ figure as best as I can um, um, so I can live uh, the best life that I can while I'm here. Okay, something like that. It's pretty simple when you don't get into all the details of all the different whatever. As the NC, and that's good because it gives you a model. Like that's a model to aim at, a model of what, let's say, you want to become. And mind you, and I'm just talking like, okay, but okay, the Buddha too. See, the Buddha was about enlightenment, right? Uh, so, so um, it's it's a, it's a little bit di it's different, but it's sort of the same way. You want to model yourself. That's why the Buddha has risen in in historical sense to what he is uh, uh, um, seen as. You know, he's not. Never mind the whole God thing. He, to me, in my eyes, it's like he was a prophet. Okay, the whole thing of a prophet of God or who, what God? No, he was a prophet because of what he did, because of what he did for mankind. Right. And there's these examples throughout history of these people. Then you look at the social sciences, uh, the psychological sciences, you know, and, and, and like I said, I've said before that the scientists kind of prove some of these things correct. And not, not and see, and this is from the thesis eye, eye, eyeball or the thesis view of things, you know, not through a religious view like, aha, see, God is real. No, no. The idea is real and not even like the idea of God no um, like for instance cause and effect if I behave a certain way there's certain ramifications that might and probably will come with my let's say bad behavior right cause and effect mother nature right um, when 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 religion modern religion says God I think you know so like let's say layman layman's terms right so to get away from religion I think mother nature you know the tree that you chop the tree it falls down whatever gravity the stream running downhill mother nature the way things are there's like an order right <laughs> There's like an order to things. So when, when, when religion talks about God, you know, I see in, in when I'm thinking in a generic sense, I'm thinking order, I'm thinking, um, um, you know, Mother Nature, those type of things. So, so when you hear about, you know, writings of, um, <clears throat> especially in the, because I see. It, it, as far as I can tell, in the Dhammapada, it, there's no, it's nothing like, it's more like a Proverbs type book. So there is no mentioning of, let's say, God will destroy you or nothing like that. Uh, but when, when in the Hebrew books or in the Christian Bible, when they talk about God destroying a city or, or something like that, um, me and my generic thinking, stepping back away and looking everything generically, it says something like Mother Nature, you know, um, the you know, for instance, and, and we can look at any society, not even in the religious books. We can look at many societies throughout history, and if you if you look 
historically into some of the things like that some of these kings did to get their people enslaved or they lost the war or they made a bad deal or whatever there's stories and stories and stories and hundreds and thousands and many 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 stories of of of, of this happening the christian bible just happens to be a small segment of a specific bloodline of people who whatever and and that story is like this is this their story right but there's other stories of other people in other cities and, and other nations and other kingdoms. And there's similar stories about how bad decisions by a leader, a bad decision by the people to elect a leader. Um, Paul Harvey brought it up about, you know, that people wanted a leader. So they cried out to God and he gave them a king. Right? We need a king. Give us a king. When, when, the, when the people were in chaos, when everything was in chaos and they needed a strong man to come in. And to take control and they prayed and they screamed out for a king and they got a king and then the cycle starts the king becomes all too powerful if his heart is not in the right place and then he becomes tyrannical and then eventually the people rise up against that tyranny to demand freedom and then their freedom, they get prosper, they prosper, they get rich and wealthy and fat and lazy. You see the cycle? History teaches us that. But what is it about us that stops us? And I say us, you know, man, mankind. And I don't mean man like gender, I mean man, mankind, human society, us right now in the modern sense. Why is it so hard to be able to see these things? Why is there so much, um, um, what is it? What's the right word? Like there's, there seems to be a lack of, of desire to, for people to even want to know these things, it seems like. Like, I love this information, this, this information so much that I just love it and it, and it calls to me and it, it, it calls me, it calls to me and says, you know, like I want to know these things so I dig in and I see and like I always bring up about the Soviet Union and the behavior of the people during that time and the behavior of the leaders during that time and how people got duped. And the same thing in, in, in Nazi Germany. And like these stories aren't new. But luckily, um, they happened in recent time to where we can learn from them. We can see them and analyze them. I mean, there's, there's um, footage of what happened during World War II. And I believe there's footage of World War I even. Maybe not as much. But, you know, ever since... Ever since the, um, you know, the invention of film and recording devices and this and that, I mean, it's been well documented, you know, the West, especially Europe uh, and America. And, you know, like it's there's just the documentation of the his of, 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 of history in this century and the past. I'm sorry, in the past century. Right. Because we're in a new century. As that is amazing. It's all there. We don't have to look back so far anymore. 
Now, the good thing about looking way back, for instance, is the tried and true and tested things, right? The reason people still read the Bible, it was created, you know, I don't know, the Nicene, uh, the Nicene, um, the Council of Nicaea, if I forgive me, some of you know this more better than I do, <laughs> but I believe was somewhere in the 300s or 400s, right? Something like that. So this book, uh, but, or, or maybe earlier than that, um, but but the, the information in this book from that time, from that point, from Nicaea to now, you know, we're talking, you know, over 1,500 years. But these stories weren't new at Nicaea. They gathered these writings that had a long history of, of that, before that. You know, the Jewish writings and the books and all that. That went way back. So a lot of these things that have been tried and true and tested were the things that survived those long periods of of of, of um, success and failure among the the um, the human populace, right? <laughs> however, however we want to look at it, and mind you, we can just look at it through the eyes of say uh, in the biblical sense, right? And all the stories entailed in the Bible, but those those stories that are in there, you might as well think of them multiplied by hundreds of times because those stories are similar throughout different regions of the world right kingdoms and uprisings and de and falls and wars and battles and this one got took by, by the other kingdom and then those people got enslaved this is nothing new absolutely nothing new about it you know there's a war on information it seems like in modern times it's kind of hard to pinpoint it a little bit but you know if if you know if you're a regular Joe if you're a regular person you know you're working your nine to five and you're doing your thing you know you you got your family you got your business you ain't got time for a lot of this other stuff that goes on in the peripherals right but you know I try to keep on top of some of the stuff that's going on in the colleges and and it's amazing now some of these things are isolated but they seem to be more and more recently uh, some of these ideas of segregating um, dormitories you know based on color or black graduations and you know these things are like wait a minute we've we've dealt with these things before I mean this whole civil rights movement was to get away from segregation and then nowadays in some colleges and some ideal ideals, ideologues or ideologies in some of these colleges is about self-segregating. Not even self-segregating, having a black graduation separate from everybody else or a minority graduate. I mean, what are we doing? We are, when, when we behave like that, and mind you, I'm not just saying, the, you know, I'm not just pointing towards that. I'm, think, I'm talking overall this way of thinking this way of thinking you know this modern way of thinking that seems to be creeping into our society and seems at least to be becoming more and more acceptable almost like I question it because I don't accept that behavior 
my friends and the, the, they, you know, they don't think that way. Who like it's it, it brings up the question like who thinks this way and why, and like so it's like you know this whole term of gaslighting right? It's a very complicated thing. It's not too complicated, but it's like being lied to, um, and to make you think that they make you question to make you question what you're seeing in front of your eyes, something like that. You know, so there's groups out there, TPUSA and uh, uh, ca uh, Campus Reform, and like these groups, they focus, like Campus Reform focuses in specifically on what's going on on the campuses. You know, and it's too easy to, oh, but they're right wing, you know, like all this language. If you are interested <clears throat> in, in bettering yourself, the, the way you think, or, or you know, we have to get away from certain language, certain ways of thinking, certain modes of thinking, maybe. Because look, if I, if there's an organization that I think as a, you know, labeled as a right-wing organization or left-wing or organization or whatever, you know, that right away puts a, a, um, a taint on it. Maybe taint would be the right word. Because look, what about the information? So. So, see, TPUSA does a lot of great work on the campuses. Campus Reform does also, they report on these things because some of this stuff isn't known out here. I mean, people are, there's parents out there that are paying for colleges. I mean, they should know what's going on. Just like you, if you send your kids to public school, you, you should want to know what they're being taught. And, and, if, and if they're being taught stuff that agrees with your, um, and not ideology, but let's say with your modes or with your, you know what I mean? There's some stuff that is extreme by, let's say, the common um, behaviors or common ideas or common ways of thinking and stuff like that. Some stuff seems really extreme out there. You know, so the whole thing about building a house on, on sand or building a house on rock sand there's too much movement even when you step in it you can barely get your footing you know these things are metaphoric but they say so much the rock the rock is solid it is tested it is true it is held up uh, through through weathered it has been weathered it is it is held up because it is made of of dense solid material it's a rock you know and you can build on that because that rock is not gonna uh, uh, fail or falter it's gonna hold the weight above it you know and metaphorically these ideas these ideas that we may consider you know um, and that's the thing is so see we can't start labeling stuff because some of these ideas just rise way above way above everything else the ideal itself rises above people above kings above governments presidents whatever the ideal itself is what we reach for what is above what governs all of us everything the ideal right so like jordan peterson says what God is, right, whatever this thing that we call God, whatever it is, the force, the whatever, what Jesus represents, right, let's say in, in the Christian sense, right, is the ideal that rules over even kings. So the ideal that kings even have to submit to, that is what, quote-unquote, 
this idea of what God is. It's the ideal that rises above everything else to where leaders, presidents, kings, all things are subject to. Right? So earlier I said Mother Nature. We are all subject to Mother Nature and her wrath or her bounty. Right? The scripture says stuff like, we are subject to God's wrath or his bounty or his blessings. Mother Nature is going to do with us as she pleases. Right? I.e. God. Sometimes it's punishment, what we do to ourselves. Detroit, let's say, i.e. Detroit, example. And then sometimes it's going to be natural. Katrina, natural disaster. But through it all, we are still valued. Each one of us is still has the value of... of um, so, so in the in the scriptures it says that you have the value, you are worthy of being called, let's say, the son of God, right? The son of creation. You have that value. So even through it all, even if it's through a destruction that was not of your doing, and even through the destruction that was of your doing, you are still worthy as a human being of respect and love and dignity. And you still have the ability to overcome. This is the message that is common across many religions. When we look at things in a broader spectrum, when you can put things together, a picture together, when you get information from so many different, as many different um, avenues as possible, the picture gets clearer and clearer. The more pieces you put into that puzzle, the more you can see the picture that you are building. Now, you can limit yourself by not, you know, getting more puzzles to put into, into, into the thing, right? To piece together. You can limit yourself or you can look for those pieces. They're out there. You kind of got to find them though. You kind of got to find them because they're there. If you want to see the picture, you have to put these pieces together and you have to find where they go. Remember, we're thinking science, we're thinking history, we're thinking religion, we're thinking experience, we're thinking law, we're thinking all of these things together. All of these things are different pieces and history gives us a clearer picture of all those different pieces to different parts of, of, um, of, of the earth, right? Geographical locations, you know? But the more of this that you get together put it in it together in your mind in your mind's eye the clearer the picture becomes the higher resolution it becomes because at first an idea might be even pixelated like damn you know uh some old ruins of they found in the middle of the desert or whatever the idea itself is really pixelated but when you start digging in let's say in the geological right science into that location or the archaeological science into that location and then the historical science or I mean the historical value of, of what that place was and what society it was and the writing and all these things and then you start learning about maybe their religions or their way of life all of these pieces put together give you a higher definition picture of what you're looking at whatever it is you're looking at whatever it is because you can aim that focus in different directions
in different specific directions. And I mind you, I'm thinking religious, I'm talking Bible and all these things because this is something common that we all know, right? But we can expand that knowing. By which way are we going to reach? So it's time, not the time, but it's the time invested in digging in for that information and for that data. It takes time, but as you accumulate more and more information, I mean that, you know, I was I was talked about before is like that hard drive just gets full and packed with data, with information, with valuable information. And if and if most of the stuff you're looking towards is of a positive nature, is a is a is of a go get 'em spirit, is and, and even historical value is fine, but altogether, you know, the more stuff that you have, the more information that you have, the better it's off you're going to be. That's what it's about. That's what the thesis is about. Open these religious books. Don't be scared. You'll know what is right and what is wrong. There's a lot of stuff in there in the old scripture that people bring up. How, how about this? Yes, it is in there because that's how people thought back then. The stoning and the whatever. We're beyond that now. Because it is in that book, it doesn't justify it or it doesn't even condone it. It just says, hey, historically, yeah, we used to stone people back then who would cheat on their husbands or wives. Historically, value, boom. Just like historical value, hey, a couple hundred years ago we had slaves. Historical value, boom. Right? Like that. Information, information, information. Dig, 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 dig. That picture that um, that Paul Harvey put for us in his video, I uh, will put the uh, uh, the link in the description. It's a beautiful. Uh, the video itself has some pictures, but it's, it's it's the information that's important. It's so beautifully put. If we slow down, I brought this up many times. If we slow down and we take a step back. If we pause, if we breathe and slow down and take a minute, things become clearer, but it's a process. I want you to have that 4K vision. I want you to see things clear. And that's what we're doing here together because look, even still, I've heard, I've heard this Paul Harvey clip many times, but I love it every single time I hear it because more stuff starts to jump out at me. All right, so let's keep at it. Let's keep at it. We're going to keep at it here. We're going to do this together, and I'm so glad that we can do it together. Open up a book. Open up a religious book. Go for it, you know? Start digging. Get that shovel and start digging. All right, guys, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for, for uh, hanging out with us and checking in with us. I hope you enjoyed what you heard today. Uh, as always, I'd love to hear from you, so please reach out. Uh, I want to welcome all our new listeners. If you did like what you hear, please... Um, don't forget to hit subscribe and share. Tell your friends about us. Uh, maybe they like this stuff too. We're going to keep at it. So uh, check back with us soon. Um, see if we can try to get another show out here this week for you guys so you won't have to wait so long. I'm trying to work on getting some people on here, so just stay just stay tuned. I want to thank you again. Love you. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, I will put the link in the description. 
uh, there's so much more. Check out other Paul Harvey clips. They're all on YouTube. Just reach, uh, you know, just search them out. They're all on there. There's really good ones. We'll probably hit up on some later on at another date. Uh, but that's it. All right, guys. Uh, please take care of yourself. Uh, stay strong. Stay focused. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Uh, we're going to do some um, election stuff coming up soon, so just keep an eye out. All right, guys. Take care of yourself. Check back soon. I love you. And we will see you. Peace out. This is Thesis.